Good day and welcome to the MacGyver Report, Wisconsin This Week. Whether it's interviewing the newsmakers of the day, reporting on the truly important stories that you just won't see in the mainstream media, or bringing you the latest cloak and dagger capital intrigue, the MacGyver Report is here to keep you up to speed on all things Wisconsin. From our palatial offices right here on Madison's Capitol Square, we bring you the stories that really matter to you, the taxpayer, and give you our incredibly expert analysis and unfaltering insight that you can only get, or so we hope, from Team MacGyver. And now, fueled by fond memories of Act 10 riots, memories <laughs> light the corners of our eyes. How do I do it here? Happy 7th anniversary. Did they make a Hallmark card I just tried turning you down using our new switchboard. Oh, I see. <laughs> so as soon as I do a little babs, you're out, huh? Sorry for bringing a little bit of romance. It's Team MacGyver. My name, of course, is Cloud Baudelaire otherwise known as Matt Kittle, investigative reporter here at the MacGyver Institute. And I'm Bill Osmolsky, MacGyver News Director. We've got a packed show to start off, a packed week here in Madison, and we'll be talking about John Doe, out-of-control spending, minimum markup, and much, much more. And as always, we're here with MacGyver's all-star staff. Ola Lasowski, research associate, and I don't even have time on this show today to talk about the Olympics, which started this weekend, oh, you guys. They're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having an awesome good time with the Olympics. And uh, I'm Chris Rochester, MacGyver Communications Director. Thank you, as always, for listening. And if you're listening on the MacGyver website, you're a good friend and patriot. But you could be an even better friend and a bigger patriot if you subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All are linked right below the podcast on the webpage. And uh, you'll get notified each and every time we post a new episode, and it helps us grow our audience. So remember to hit subscribe and leave reviews. Will they get a photo of you wearing that uh, that uh, rad-looking headset that you got on over there? <laughs> yeah, we need to get some no. That would be uh, a disincentive. <laughs> no one wants that. <laughs> all right, you aren't going to want to put off subscribing because this podcast is a great way to stay on top of all the happenings in and around the Capitol. And things are really crazy right now as we race towards the end of the session. Elected officials are trying to ramp through everything they can think of to help them in the fall elections. Here at the McIver Institute, we call this the silly season. Every day, it seems, there's another initiative to spend millions of dollars. Chris and Ola, you've been trying to collect all of these proposals into one place, and I don't think anyone else has done that, actually. Yeah. And so the main thing everyone wants to know is how much will all of these ideas cost the state? <laughs> That is right, Bill. So Silly Season is definitely going strong this year. And as part of our ongoing mission at MacGyver uh, is to, to help taxpayers understand what the state government is doing. And well, off the backs of a budget surplus with more money in state coffers than expected and a smaller state budget than the governor had originally proposed, we're in a situation where the government has a little bit more money than it anticipated. That's dangerous. So what are they doing? <laughs> they are spending it. Uh, by our count right now, these spending bills going through the legislature add up to over $473 million, Ooh. all funds. Uh, that does include federal dollars yep. in there. So with about $311.5 million of those dollars coming from state funding or state GPR. Hmm. Now, that includes uh, the big plans Governor Walker has put forth in the last few weeks, the welfare reform special session bills that I'm sure we'll be talking about later this, uh, this show, the child tax credit, the sales tax holiday, the Obamacare stabilization plan, the rural economic development fund, plus we've got plenty of priorities of the legislature in here too, including the Speaker's Task Force on Foster Care, the HOPE <laughs> Agenda, which is dealing with the ongoing opioid crisis. So uh, yeah, that's <laughs> between all of those different uh, policy proposals and initiatives, we are looking at three eleven and a half million dollars in state spending right now. However, Oof one tough. thing, yeah, <laughs> oof is, Where, where's is, it all coming from? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, look right? at your paycheck. <laughs> exactly, right? So and one thing that's crucial to note is that some of these proposals wouldn't spend money right now, but would spend it a few years down the road. So some of these credits and proposals that are going through right now, the legislature gets to talk about as, 
you know, one thing you always, and I think the press kind of always chuckles when you hear this in a hearing room, this is a common sense proposal. Everyone loves using those words, and that's how you know they probably agreed to spend some money. (laughs) (laughs) They got bipartisan buy-in is what they're saying. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, one of them, for example, is the... um, low income housing tax credit. So this bill would provide tax credits to incentivize private developers to build low income housing, which we're told there's a shortage of in the state. I know I've read a lot about this in Madison, for example, there's a very small percentage of open properties that are available, etc. And so this is one where, you know, they can talk about it now, hey, saying the state doesn't spend any money on this. This credit doesn't cost any money today or even next year. But uh, you look at that fiscal bureau chart down the road, credit reimbursement, $9 million annually in 2026 and every year thereafter. So there are a couple of those bills. The other one I might draw your guys' attention to is the Historic Rehabilitation Tax Credit. That I, that proposal would let people claim more money um, on one project on one parcel of land uh, under that particular credit. When you look at fiscal year 2024, $29.4 million towards that one credit and annually thereafter. Oh, wow, I thought it was like one lawmaker who bought, you know, uh, a historic <laughs> property that wanted to fix it up, but no, apparently he's got a bunch of friends, too. Well, it's a good thing we got all this free money out there, isn't it? Nobody That's has great. to pay for anything. It's just free money. That's right. That's like, I, you know, I'm reminded of Oprah. I thought she was going to roll into joint finance and say, you know, you get a car, and you get a car, <laughs> yeah. and you, you get a car. I mean, exactly. what, what this is doing, so you, you taxpayer, you get a bag of rocks <laughs> like Charlie Brown. Right. So, I mean, it, the numbers aren't necessarily all huge mm-hmm. with some of these programs right now but these you're planting the seed of like a corpse flower that's going to grow into this gigantic money eating <laughs> stinky money eating gross you know, thing in the next budget or yeah. out you know 10 years so right, we're taking yeah. a, a look at what these are going to cost in the out years too Did you but mean by the way to have oprah winfrey and corpse flower in the same paragraph <laughs> I just, i'm just curious for my yeah. own edification you, you better show notes later show yeah. respect to the oprah she's going to be your president someday so you know i think that this kind of not even touching too much on what's going on federally right now with the federal budget plan that they uh, that the president is working on right now i think i saw some commentary in that sphere uh of course with conservatives concerned about our federal deficit that somehow people seem to kind of just care less and less about right (laughs) and as it continues to grow and grow and grow i saw someone somewhere i think on twitter or something said when democrats are in power republicans are the conservative party when republicans are in power there is no conservative party (laughs) and it's stuff like that 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 scares me man it really is so that is why we have taken it upon ourselves to try and collect all of these proposals in one place so that taxpayers can get an idea, hey, this is what state government is thinking about doing with your money. So stay tuned for that. We'll publish, be publishing that shortly. And, uh, you know, Maybe. it's certainly not an easy read or a fun read, but it is a necessary. It'd be nice if the state government themselves would compile all this into one easy to read uh, <laughs> They don't want you to document. know. But, but no, it might be, uh, yeah, it might be. Difficult to to take it all in, but but um, it is a nice looking table that you've put together. So thank you very much, Billy. You, you, I lost sleep over this table. Well, I'll tell you that you're, you're making the information as palatable as possible. Thank you. Being now, very easy to read, by the way. I don't want to scare anybody away. It's very easy to read. It's important stuff, and sometimes we think that the important stuff has to be. You know, just this really difficult stuff with footnotes and all these. It's not that. It's very digestible, very easy to read, and you know right away just how screwed you are as a taxpayer. Sure. That's yeah. that's exactly. what we do at the end of the day. Right. And, you know, and the context in all of this is knowing that the Department of Revenue just announced that the state has a bigger surplus than it expected just a couple months ago. The legislature passed a budget that, well... $65 billion in size. It did spend $500 million less than the governor originally proposed. Originally, you had the speaker, again, just a couple months ago, saying we would like to take that $500, uh, $500 million for broad-based tax reform, and then you come out with laundry lists of proposals like these. So that is why I exist. It is what about that tax reform, guys? Isn't it, isn't it funny how the roles have reversed? Because we did hear Speaker Voss say we want comprehensive broad-based tax reform. 
before, last week we hear the same thing being said by Speaker Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. or by Majority Leader Fitzgerald. Sure. So there's yeah. apparently Let's agreement in principle. Ask, guess who got to ask him that question? Right. I did. I know. I, <laughs> but there's agreement in principle, but not in, sure. a, not in a policy. It is election year after What we all. can all agree on is that it's an election year <laughs> and lots of stuff. What? Lots of stuff in the bag are going to get thrown out. There. Christmas well, coming early this year. I, I would just like to say it's ironic how Wisconsin's elected officials are obsessed with giving away free money right now because eight years ago they were elected for preaching fiscal responsibility. The 2009-2011 budget started off with a $6.6 billion deficit. That wasn't that long ago. Republicans were sent to Madison to stop the hemorrhaging and to make sure that Wisconsin never faced a situation like that again. Led by Governor Walker, they came out of the gate swinging. The budget repair bill would eventually become Act 10. And that's the primary reason Wisconsin is on such firm fiscal footing today. It also sparked historic protests at the Capitol, including an occupation that lasted weeks. It's not an event I enjoy revisiting. <laughs> Why? Why is that? Well, you weren't there. Of all of us at the table, <laughs> you were the guy who had to uh, rappel out of the, the secret I, window here at McIver into the crowd. Yeah, when they were, uh, yeah they, the, the crowds were forming on the street calling for my blood at times. <laughs> but um, it, it is important to not forget what happened during that time. And that's why we're featuring some of these top stories from that period on our website. I also created a special playlist on our McIver Institute YouTube channel a while ago of our daily and sometimes hourly reports from what I call the Act 10 riots. Some of the protesters came to the Capitol hoping to launch a full-fledged revolution to overthrow our way of life. I am not kidding. And believe it or not, at that time, there was no shortage of socialists and communists who worked in state government. Here's one of my reports from the second day of the occupation. International socialist organizations are seizing upon government employee union unrest in Wisconsin. At a rally at the Capitol in Madison on Wednesday, socialist organizations joined the crowd, recruiting new members and drawing parallels to the recent revolution in Egypt. Uh, We're a socialist activist organization based around the country with two branches here in Madison. We're the International Socialist Organization. Um, I am a public employee here in Wisconsin. A lot of our members are. People are mobilized. Skywalkers kicked a sleeping giant, if you will. And um, this is just evidence uh, as we're having more and more people every day that the the workers of Wisconsin aren't going to lay, you know, take this laying down. I feel like this response actually partly reflects that we we just spent a month watching people uh, hold revolutions and and stand up in a way that frankly I I didn't imagine was possible in the near term and I think it's incredibly inspiring and I think you know this is obviously a very different situation but that that kernel of resistance and defiance I feel like is the the common thread here and and I'm so glad to be a part of it. We also have uh, an event uh, coming up next Wednesday called from Cairo to Madison we're gonna talk about how to mobilize workers like they did in Egypt because the the mass strikes were what was so successful over in Egypt so hopefully we can have something like that here and and work for uh, an egalitarian society in Wisconsin so workers unite. For the McIver Institute I'm Bill Osmolsky. And the extended occupation attracted plenty of -of out-of-town radicals too. Here's a short interview I conducted with a couple of communist recruiters a couple of days later. I'm sorry where? Chicago Revolution newspaper. What's that about? Revolution, about building a movement for revolution, putting it on the map, introducing people to Bob Avakian, the chairman of the Revolutionary Communist Party, and bringing forward emancipators of humanity. You see the opportunity for uh, that kind of segment here? Yes, I do. What what makes it up? Well, I think that people are looking for answers to why this system is um, bringing down these kind of attacks against working people, and I think that the influence and effect of what's going on in Egypt, you know, and around the world in in terms of people rising up against dictators and oppressive regimes. And I think that people are open to the possibilities of building a a revolutionary movement. Now, those were just a couple of the stories from outside the Capitol. At the same time, 
processors were busy converting the inside into a complete squalor. Here's a story about how they ran it. Protesters have been occupying the Wisconsin State Capitol for eight straight days. Law enforcement told the McIver Institute Monday, protest organizers appear to have established their own society and functioning government within the Capitol. There's nothing like what you think. Uh, um, well, I guess you could call it a, mini a miniature government. Absolutely, yeah. You can find rules posted throughout the building and town marshals watching the crowds. Marshals that are being organized for the TAA upstairs, and they are, the TAA has been responsible for basically governing this house right now, creating their own, you know, creating rules, enforcing them. TAA would be the Teaching Assistance Association, but who exactly is calling the shots in protest city? I was directed to the third floor where the TAA had set up shop in a hearing room. Oh, who's the mayor of this? Yeah. Oh. God, I... Is, is this I don't, one person no. charge or is it kind of just like... Uh, no, there's room? definitely not one person in charge. I was directed to talk to someone named Jason. Are you the mayor of all this? No, 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 no. We are all on the same level. All I'm, I'm right now I'm just acting as volunteer coordinator. Okay. So I'm just trying to get people hooked up with the people they need to talk to to, you know, volunteer. So, yeah. How'd you guys, how'd you guys get all this together? Um, well, it was really just sort of emerging. We kind of just, uh, um, you know, it was kind of, we were in kind of crisis mode. And then um, we all just uh, developed the projects that we were interested in. So, But protesters have still gotten out of hand. The doors to the Supreme Court were vandalized last week, and I talked to some protesters who admitted to smoking pot in the building. Yeah, we got high. <laughs> did, they, did they succeed in lighting up? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. 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 Oh, oh, Jesus. Also last week, Capitol Police instructed legislative staff to lock their doors for safety, and officers insisted on escorting the staffers throughout the building. But the marshals don't seem to be aware of that. They're here to peacefully demonstrate, so we haven't had any problems. As long as the Assembly and the Senate are in session, law enforcement cannot legally kick the protesters out of the building. For the McIver Institute, I'm Bill Osmolsky. To see those stories and many, many more you never, you never got from the mainstream media, make sure to check out our YouTube channel and our website, McIverInstitute.com. You know, you talk about the mainstream media, <clears throat> you know, at this period of time, I was just out of college. I really didn't know that much about McIver, but uh, looking back, Everything that I learned about that was really meaningful, other than, oh, here's a big crowd of people taken from a helicopter. Everything I learned, I learned from the MacGyver Institute. But I have, you know, I'm looking back in hindsight, that was MacGyver, that was MacGyver. Yeah. The fake sick notes were MacGyver. The occupation of the Capitol was MacGyver. You know, so, I mean, this place was really uh, instrumental in shaping the conversation around what happened. Because otherwise people think, oh, a beautiful outflowing of democracy. And, <laughs> and when you go inside the building, and you see people sleeping on piles of garbage or whatever was going on. Not, Bill, not did necessarily. You have, did you so ever much. sleep during that time? And I ask I, you this because I, you were there at Ground Zero. I came back to Wisconsin, my home state, in July. I was uh, 2011. I was thrown into the middle of, you know, what was the then aftermath. The, the aftermath, yeah. the beginning of the recall season. But you had this crazy moment in Wisconsin history, emphasis on crazy. And I know reporters everywhere, but particularly at MacGyver, were working a lot of overtime. Yeah, I mean, we, um, you know, there were long days. I mean, you, you, you knew, I want to say the crowds would start to form about, you know, seven or eight o'clock in the morning. So you would try, you'd make a very strong effort to get here an hour or two, just, just to get parking to get back into the office. Cause we're and, right and these are the, the cold, start. bitter days of winter, exactly. too. Exactly. And, uh, you know, you'd work late, probably six or seven, and then I'd go home, and uh, I typically, a lot of nights, I was on the radio then, a few a couple hours after that, because, you know, people, you know, conservative talk show hosts in California, Oregon, and Washington, right. you know, all over the country wanted, uh, you know, first-hand accounts, and I, I remember, <laughs> I can't even remember the show now, but I was just so exhausted, it was like completely incoherent they, they, they cut that radio set segment very <laughs> short i remember that one that was embarrassing but everything though began to melt together between the zombie attacks and the balloon popping valentine day treat and all of these sorts of things that just merged together into this cacophony of weirdness that was winter of 2011. You know, Cacophony it, of weirdness. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it really set McIver news apart too because yeah. 
it um it really showed how open-minded we are when we go into these events like we don't i wouldn't have gotten the doctors writing the sick notes if i was if i had preconceived notions of what my story was going to be for the day that was one where you went out with the camera you had your microphone and you were just you start talking to people just you'd start interviewing people without even having a story and as the day progressed as the hours progressed all of a sudden stories would just start appearing before you so you had to be open-minded to actually see them occurring and they were great stories that simply were as chris said they just were not being told by mainstream media because they didn't fit the narrative that yeah. a lot of these mainstream players were going into. That is to say, and I remember yeah. this, I was working in a newsroom at a daily newspaper in Missouri, and I remember the NBC Nightly News every night showing juxtaposition stories of the Egyptian spring next to the Act 10 now protest. That, now, now that you mention it. That was the national narrative at the time, right? because that was certainly pitched by the mainstream players here in Wisconsin, that all oh, the villainous Republicans in the legislature and the villainous Scott Walker were trying to get rid of the rights of uh, workers here in the state, never mentioning the fact that how many taxpayers, the millions upon millions of taxpayers in the state, had no seat at the table before Governor Walker and the Republican-controlled <laughs> legislature said, that's enough, thank you. Well, you know, and I would just like to point out that, you know, the story, you heard the story, but you should definitely go to our website to see the story about um, how the processors set up their own municipal government in the Capitol. I mean, that's <laughs> one of my favorite stories of all time. And it just happened. It, it, it took keeping your eyes open as you walked around the Capitol. You, would, you saw signs. You saw, like, rules, you know, rules that were being posted yeah. by their, you know, the protest municipal government. And, you know... I saw these signs. I started asking questions. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, they got their own little city hall up on the uh. third floor. So, I, I mean, there was a story that every single reporter who was supposedly covering the protest should have had. And we were the only ones that had it. And it's funny to me that you had this case of revolutionaries, right, socialists, setting up their own governments governing for themselves, yeah. which is the core principle that conservatives take in the model of self-governance. <laughs> Spontaneous order. We had one bit of cross-section agreement going on in 2011, apparently between the conservatives well, and liberals. You know, that was one, th one, um, one theme that I started to explore at one time because I started hearing all the, you know, People that thought they were socialists would start telling me what they believed. And I said, you sound a lot like libertarians. Oh, yeah, but, you know, libertarians are just locked into, you know, 1776. They aren't here in the real real world. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like you two should, you know, get together and kind of, you know, <laughs> you know hammer some things out because you got a lot. You agree on a lot. <laughs> Remarkable times, to say the very least. Well, and MacGyver, this guy right here, Bill Osmolsky, had you covered. All right. Well, Democrats aren't all on the same page when it comes to Act 10. <laughs> Some still want to repeal the law and go back to public sector unions and multi-billion dollar deficits in the state budget. Others seem to want to move on. Those conversations, of course, are playing out in plain view as somewhere around two dozen Dems and to me, it feels like 2,000 Dems fight for part of the party's nomination to run against Governor Scott Walker in the fall. Chris is on our health care. He is our health care guru. So he zeroed in how the contenders differ on health policy. Correct, sir? There is, there is certainly a, a robust health dimension to this. And I'll talk about that a little bit towards the, towards the end because I have a, we have a clip to play from another notable thinker. Uh, you know, the, these are they. They had this healthcare forum, and incidentally, it was um, formatted like the game show Jeopardy, which is kind of funny. I mean, you know, a lot's going to be in Jeopardy if one of these people wins just based on the comments no, that they I would have. prefer to see it more like Hollywood Squares. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like the uh, the Weird Al Yankovic version of this. Our our democracy is in jeopardy, baby. <laughs> Uh, you had, I mean, so for, for one of these people's name is Matt Flynn, and um, he said uh, Walker's attempts at holding down the cost of government, uh, mainly he's referring to welfare reform, will cause people to die. So, I mean, that's nothing new on the left we hear, but that kind of stuff all the time. You know, this overheated hyperbole. Keep it in mind that this is an audience of people who agree with them, but... Uh, 
He also, uh, Flynn said, that liberals, uh, or that, excuse me, conservatives want to disenfranchise voters, uh, minority voters especially, and that he made an off-color joke about conservatives would be fine if those people just died, didn't survive, and the liberals in the audience laughed. What do you think would happen if a conservative made a similar statement in a forum like that? Um, <laughs> you'd probably you'd probably see it in a lot more play. It get a lot more attention. I don't think this got any attention. Yeah, I know. Other than you know, with something in a MacGyver News uh, analysis column, you know, just one of many items of right. interesting comments well, to and these, say the least. These comments are out there for all to see. They put it on Facebook. They did it on Facebook Live, and uh, you know, so it was no no magic trick. Um, now, Malin Mitchell, another candidate for governor, he's the guy who ran for lieutenant governor during the recall era and failed. Um, he said legalized pot would fix the heroin epidemic. Wait, so, is it, wait isn't marijuana a gateway drug for heroin? <laughs> <laughs> not, a, not according to uh, pot addicts. Okay. No, I mean, this, this is, this is uh, the pot is the panacea or that there is a panacea yeah. type of, of thing. He, he doesn't, he's not completely wrong in that. I think he's trying to say if you legalize pot, you could use the tax revenue to fund anti-heroin programs. And that's not completely insane but this idea that there's a panacea that's some kind of panacea you're you're buying into the 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 argument that the government should tax and then spend in order to solve a major social problem but doesn't it sound strange to you that someone would propose using proceeds from a taxable marijuana industry to Get us out of the problem of opioid abuse <laughs> in this nation. Is there a bit of a disconnect there? And more so, is that the kind of disconnect that we're getting from these candidates who seriously want to challenge the two-term governor of the state of Wisconsin? All right. Uh, so that comment wasn't completely nuts, but one, one, of the, one of the comments that by one of the real heavy hitters in this race uh, against Governor Walker uh, really got my attention. It was by Tony Evers, the state superintendent of schools. I think a lot of people are going to look at him as the front runner. Um, he talked about how the force of government could be used to coerce doctors to practice in urban areas. And uh, I want to go quick to a clip from Ronald Reagan, who <laughs> warned us about this in 1961, and it's going to hit you pretty hard. Now in our country, under our free enterprise system, we have seen medicine reach the greatest heights that it has in any country in the world. Today, the relationship between patient and doctor in this country is something to be envied any place. The privacy, the care that is given to a person, the right to choose a doctor, the right to go from one doctor to the other. But let's also look from the other side at the freedom the doctor loses. A doctor would be reluctant to say this. Well, like you, I'm only a patient, so I can say it in his behalf. The doctor begins to lose freedoms. It's like telling a lie, and one leads to another. First, you decide that the doctor can have so many patients, they're equally divided among the various doctors by the government. But then the doctors aren't equally divided geographically. So a doctor decides he wants to practice in one town, and the government has to say to him, you can't live in that town, they already have enough doctors, you have to go someplace else. And from here it's only a short step to dictating where he will go. This is a freedom that I wonder whether any of us have the right to take from any human being. I know how I'd feel if you, my fellow citizens, decided that to be an actor, I had to become a government employee and work in a national theater. Take it into your own occupation or that of your husband. All of us can see what happens once you establish the precedent that the government can determine a man's working place and his working methods, determine his employment. From here, it's a short step to all the rest of socialism to determining his pay. And pretty soon, your son won't decide when he's in school where he will go or what he will do for a living. He will wait for the government to tell him where he will go to work and what he will do. So Evers said, to put this in context, that using government subsidies could be used as a cudgel, that government can, and this was his quote, direct and compel doctors into residencies at urban hospitals. And uh, of course, Reagan just got done saying uh, government taking over medicine is a first step down the road to full-blown socialism. And it's only a matter of time before you go from saying, hey, 
you know, in order to get this money, we're going to tell you where you're going to work to doing that, you know, based on sparsity or or availability, Mm -hmm. uh, centrally directed workforce planning. And then it goes to other jobs. So if you can do it with doctors, why not do it with mechanics? So nothing says individual liberty like compelling someone to work (laughs) at some place. And the sad thing is it sounds like he was the only one that has a solid plan of what he wants to do, (laughs) even if it is a terrible plan. Right. (laughs) At least he's got a plan. I guess that's the notion. You know, it's like uh, Batman and the Joker when the Joker is saying, you know, as long as everything goes according to plan right yeah <laughs> just think if everything goes according to plan <laughs> according to this particular suggestion from this candidate if you uh go and you spend your time uh and you spend your capital trying to become a trained physician uh and you desperately want to work in your hometown small town hospital and now tony evers and Cruz say i'm sorry You'll be working in inner city Milwaukee. Well, also, you're you're a you're a professional who's coming out of school in their thirties mm-hmm. with probably well over a hundred thousand dollars in debts. Yeah. Who now has to work frantically to try to catch up to your peers and pay off that debts. Mm-hmm. And uh, now you're telling them, oh, you got to go work in this hospital right here. That maybe isn't going to pay as well as other jobs. But the government's going to take care of that big debt for you, Bill. (laughs) That's the subsidy portion of it, don't you know? know? It's always always like you fix one problem and you create another problem, and then you got to fix that problem by creating another problem. That's that's like the whole liberal cycle It's cat-in-the-hat logic. You know, if he was was thinking with his moderate cap on and wasn't in front of an audience of hardcore liberals, he might have said incentivize them to go work in the city, you know, because that's kind of liberalism light. That's right. Instead, yeah. it's it's compel and direct, which sounds like some other country. <laughs> well, well, as as we noted at the with the MacGyver piece, and I think this is pretty much saying it all. What happens when you get a room full of liberal gubernatorial candidates together? They all try <laughs> to out liberal each other, and that's exactly what they did. Now, healthcare isn't the only issue that Demo- that has Democrats backed into a corner. They also seem to be on the losing end of tax policy. And as if that as if that were open for debate, Ola Ola's got some great examples uh, to shut that down. So Ola, this is my favorite segment. Yeah, this, this is becoming Thank a you. regular segment. <laughs> Thank you very much, Bill. Here on our weekly tax cut Armageddon segment, I provide our lovely listeners with an update on the end of the world as we know it. We are talking <laughs> tax cuts. Last week, Chipotle announced it would offer bonuses and expanded benefits to its employees. Uh, with How dare they? How could they? <laughs> with a full crumbs, crumbs, crumbs. Of, of burritos. With a full third <laughs> of those tax savings going directly to employees, that'll look like $250 bonuses for hourly crew members and up to $1,000 for general managers. Employees will also get bonuses in stocks, and the company will increase benefits such as parental leave and short-term disability for its employees. The burrito maker will invest about $50 million into restaurant upgrades, spending about twenty grand per store. Interested to see what that looks like. Do you guys go to Chipotle? No. No, it's been a while. It's been honest. a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently a lot of people are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, the, they're the new hot thing. Chipotle? I'm told. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, Moving right along, the Indiana-based health insurer Anthem announced it would contribute $1,000 to the 401ks of each of its 58,000 employees and recent retirees. Mm-hmm. Um, not too many more details on that one, but that, I mean, that's really significant in scope. Uh, also in the health and wellness sphere, CBS announced it would raise its base wage to $11 per hour. It'll also go ahead and adjust and increase pay ranges and rates for other employees already making more money than that. The company also announced, this was fascinating to me. Even though medical and prescription costs uh, and premiums have increased about 5% over last year, CBS announced it would not increase employee premiums for the coming plan year and rather will absorb that entire increase for all 100,000 employees who are part of the company's health plan. Do any of these uh, new announcements include free pico de gallo sauce (laughs) (laughs) 
Because the last time I was at one of these establishments, and I won't say which, they skimped on pico de gallo. Well, maybe if you were an employee, you'd get all the pico yeah. de gallo you could you could handle. Right. Does MacGyver have a uh, a pico de gallo plan? No, okay. no. I'm no. just curious. Yeah, do we have like a guac matching plan or something? <laughs> matching. They'll take the employee handle. Guac and sour cream, you can shake a stick. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Finally, CBS will create a brand new paid parental leave program, full-time employees with a new child in the home will be able to take up off to f- up to four weeks off at 100% pay. Wait a minute. So this isn't something that the government's telling them they have to do? <laughs> Listen, you give companies the ability to do something, they want to reward the people doing the work for them. It's this crazy idea. Yeah. Finally, last update for the week. Another big company, may have heard of them, called BP, British Petroleum Oil and Gas, uh, announced Tuesday it would increase American investments following federal tax reform. No specifics yet, but the chief executive did have this to say uh, on a call. Quote, the regulatory system in the United States is suddenly so so much easier. It was becoming an avalanche of regulations in every direction. Wow. From a business community standpoint, this is quite transformational. There will be a lot of capital attracted to the U.S. because of that. That is amazing. I, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I don't think, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't focus on that. What that executive of that massive global company mm-hmm. just said was, the last eight years we have been, pre, the previous eight years under the <laughs> Obama administration, we have been buried under an avalanche of regulation. Mm-hmm. This isn't the only executive saying exactly right. that. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Yeah, to, to just go out and say it like that, it was really, really interesting. And so, yeah, we don't know what those additional investments will look like. Uh, BP has been spending more and more money in this country, and I believe in the last couple of years was the bigger investor, biggest investor in the energy sector in this country. So very exciting to, to see what that'll look like in the future. So just to wrap up this segment, I have to say thanks again to our friends at Americans for Tax Reform for doing such a good job at collecting all of these stories, posting them all in one place on their website, ATR.org. By their count, 345 companies have announced tax reform bonuses, raises, and other investments as a result of federal tax reform. That is well over three and a half million Americans who will see bonuses. Just pure misery for every poor <laughs> American who's had to suffer a tax and break. And yep. after taxes, they won't even get that much money, right? Yeah. So just keep raising them. I want to I do one thing here. Uh, stay tuned next week for our next update on tax cut, Armageddon. Armageddon. <laughs> Chris's new toy. <laughs> Excited about that, that, would, that, that would be spooky if I had headphones. Huh? <laughs> it was the setting is kind of spooky. It sounds like a haunted house. <laughs> See, it's even spookier without the headphones, quite frankly, but I'm not taking my medicine. I'm going to make sure I let you, you introduce it next week. So. Well, something else that could potentially be the end of the world for some liberals, at least. New John Doe legislation being circulated around the Capitol this week. And as you probably guessed, Matt Kittle is on the case. Bill, this is a long time in coming. We've talked about this before, but this is legislation authored by State Senator Dave Craig, Republican Town of Vernon, and State Representative Joe Sanfilippo, Republican West Dallas. And this is really the legislation that finally establishes the committee, the bicameral committee in the legislature that would investigate the John Doe investigators. And it includes subpoena power, rarely used. As I understand it, this is something that has not been used since the 1970s, would compel former GAB staff members, board members, to say under oath, to answer questions under oath, what they did in what we know, this is the tip of the iceberg, was a very abusive investigation really nothing more than a opposition research uh, political spying operation for years we'll get more of this information if indeed this bill becomes law so now in theory what could potentially happen as the legislature uncovers firm evidence of crimes i mean we we know that the attorney general recommended that a lot of the key players get uh hit with um, contempt of court charges, but I mean, that, that's a misdemeanor. And I mean, for the for the devastation that some of these people have created and, and you know, destroyed lives, it really feels like 
to just slap them with a misdemeanor is, you know, really letting them get away with, you know, a lot. Yeah, you know, quite frankly, it's not even a misdemeanor on contempt of court. Basically what it is, it's a civil procedure, and they would have to go in and correct the problems. Hmm. Uh, they can't go in and correct the leaked information that came out. They can't go in and correct how they handled that sensitive information. None of that can happen. What they really are looking for in contempt of court is the things that they use, these secret channels of communication, these Gmail accounts that would never come up in terms of open record requests and investigations. The Gmail accounts that GAB officials tried to hide from everybody as they were sending sensitive, confidential information back and forth. The reason that they are being cited, or could be cited, I should say, for contempt of court charges, is for having those uh, those means of sending back and forth communication. They would have to remedy that. <laughs> And they would really, that would be it. Yeah. They would be held in contempt of court until they fixed the situation. What this would do, this bicameral committee would do, would it would open up records, emails, documentation currently that the, GA, the former GAB and the state government officials have claimed, well, that's, nobody can touch those because... It's all a matter of the John Doe gag order that still exists. We can't, you can't have those. Now, the legislature would have access to this. We'd see exactly the communications between the GAB, uh, staff lawyers, the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office, all of that sort of stuff. We'd find out what really took place. And remember, at the same time, we have the Department of Justice uh, asked to open up a criminal investigation, a broader criminal investigation against the John Doe actors. And so that will be interesting to see what they find and whether criminal charges actually come out of that investigation. So we, we saw these, you know, especially Brian Bell and Michael Haas go on their PR tour when they were trying to save their hides. You know, they, going on a, a talk radio show and making your case and using a whole bunch of obfuscations and Clinton-esque weasel words is a little bit different, a lot different, mm. than if you're under oath in front of a legislative committee using this power that they have in exercise apparently since the 70s, which is a shocker to me. Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> no, you that'll up, get interesting. You bring up a very good point. Yeah, all of these GAB officials, including Kevin Kennedy, who ran the GAB or its predecessor for years, uh, 30 years, all of these people have said things publicly. Um, it'll be interesting if what they say publicly jives with what they say under oath, if they end up saying anything under oath. Hmm. We will uh, continue to cover this story. The bill is out for sponsorship this week. State Senator Dave Craig says this bill has to be passed. It has to be passed soon. They need to get to work so that Wisconsin can figure out, find out, finally, what really happened in the John Doe scandal. I'd just like to say that if Wisconsin can't <laughs> solve this problem on a state level, there's very little hope for Washington and their problems. Yeah. I think there's a general statement that applies to many things. There's very <laughs> yeah. little hope for Washington. Indeed, indeed. Well, there is so much more on the agenda at the Wisconsin Capitol this week. The assembly's on the floor on Tuesday. Joint finance meets on Wednesday. On top of all that, there are plenty of hearings throughout the week. So, Ola, what will you be watching this week? You know, I uh, <laughs> I have already been posted up in the joint finance room this morning as well as last week. I think that'll continue a little bit. Uh, I do want to correct you. So joint finance had a public hearing Monday morning uh, today when we're taping this. They've got an exec when you all lovely listeners are listening to this podcast on Tuesday. <laughs> then on Wednesday, it's the Joint Committee on Employment Relations, uh. JCOER. There's a lot of them running around. <laughs> That's okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, a couple big spending bills in, in, uh, in joint finance this week. That's really what I'm focusing on. They heard Governor Walker's proposal for the Obamacare stabilization plan this morning, execing or also known as voting on that tomorrow, as well as the new Rural Economic Development Fund, which is a brand new idea. Um, 
$50 million a year. $50 million a year to to build up our rural areas and to to help with economic development over there. So not even debating that, but just, you know, tracking truly how much much money that is. And um, so that's something I'm paying attention to right now. Thursday, of course, the Assembly will be taking up the special session welfare reform bills on the floor. The Senate Public Benefits Committee will also be hearing those uh, in committee on Wednesday, we've got a coercive federal funding bill going through committee on Ooh, Thursday. That, that'll be an interesting one. So, yeah, there's a lot going on, guys. <laughs> so, Chris, what's what's grabbed your attention? <clears throat> well, I was going to mention the coercive federal funding bill because I yeah. did this this report a long time ago now on on the siren song of free federal money and all the strings that are attached. So that'll be a good one. Um, other ones I'm keeping an eye on are a dental therapy bill. It's called uh, that's get, that gets a hearing on Wednesday. Uh, that is by Mary Felskowski. And just real quick on what dental therapy is, it, it sounds kind of wonkish, but it's actually pretty simple. So right now you have dental hygienists and dentists, and uh, there's very little in terms of the stuff that dentists can do that anybody else can do. Dental therapy creates this dental therapy practitioner level of accreditation. So it creates a whole new profession where you have dental therapists. You can go to school for it, get a bachelor's degree, get accredited, and you can do a lot of the things that dentists can do, but you don't command the salary that a dentist makes. And you can it frees up the dentist to stay at home base, do some of the more complex procedures. And dental therapists can go to rural areas and go to satellite sites. Uh, nursing homes, that sort of thing, and uh, do some of the most common stuff like filling well, cavities. Yeah, and, and you and I, I mean, we, we debated this a little bit this afternoon. I mean, it seemed to me that the intent of the original bill was you have dental hygienists out there who have, you know, are capable of doing a lot of these things, but they aren't allowed to under the current structure. Right. So all the bill was supposed to do was essentially give them permission to do things they can already do. It sounds like this other thing doesn't really solve the problem of, hey, the dentist isn't handy, the hygienist is here, and, and you know they can do it, but you know they aren't allowed to. Right. So there, there's a, another bill out there um, that creates it's EF it's an EFDA bill, uh, expanded function dental assistance, I believe is what that stands for, and it basically uh, it, given the proper examinations, passage of certain tests. The dental hygienists can do more things. But, you know, basically what both try to accomplish is the only way to provide more, expand the amount of dental care available is to have more people authorized to do it. Yeah. And um, the dentists, I think, want more uh, higher, higher reimbursement rates, but that doesn't increase the number of bodies in the room ca- capable of doing some of these basic things like you know, restorations and filling cavity stuff. So anyway, I'm, I'm geeking out on that. We're very interested in that. <laughs> and at the end of the day, this is really about both these bills, about addressing a pretty severe dental shortage, a dentist shortage in this state. Right. A dental sh- practitioner shortage. Uh, there's, there are uh, 65 out of 72 counties have a designated dental shortage area in wow. them. There are one, one and a half million people in the state live in one. And, no idea. and then if you think about how much of the state is rural, Getting to a dentist can be a huge challenge for people, especially if you're sure. if you're a kid or if you're elderly. Um, and so th- there are lots of different free market oriented ways to tackle this. Dental therapy is, I think, the, considered the gold standard, um, and it's complicated. Look for our policy brief on this issue, but it can also save money by reducing ER visits. So anyway, there's that. There's another bill out there. We talked about the uh, Governor Walker's reinsurance proposal mm. for Obamacare or to um, clean up the mess that Obamacare has left behind. Uh, that is up for an executive session and joint finance uh, on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And so keep an eye on that. That we're, we're hearing different things on that out of the Senate uh, last week, Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald said they are actively looking at putting a sunset provision on that bill so it doesn't become an annual cost and infinitum, and it can, you, you can keep some control. And that caucus is also getting together on Tuesday to talk about all these priorities. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it will be a busy day, and none of us are planning on getting cloned. And then the last one, uh, Shannon Zimmerman has a bill. Speak for yourself. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, we need, don't need no. more of you running around. <laughs> Are you kidding? You can, like, get a duet going and then maybe a trio or, like, a barbershop, a barbershop quartet. <laughs> we were, he was playing. talking. He was, he was playing two McIver minutes at a time in his office earlier. And then talking at the same time. So there were three of them. dream, bring me a dream. Anyway, uh, the last thing I've got is Shannon Zimmerman has a bill on self-funded health insurance by employer groups. Uh, it's pretty interesting to me. Uh, employers can, you know, smaller employers who can't necessarily self-fund their insurance, uh, they're able to get together through their chambers of commerce and other industry groups and self-fund their insurance plans for their employees. That sounds so. like a nice bill that's not going to cost me a taxpayer or anything, too. Well, exactly. It just gets <laughs> the government out of the way. Yeah. It's a beautiful bill. Well, I, I've got two items that I'd like to bring up, but um, I'll let Matt have an opportunity first, so maybe I won't have two two items to talk about. Matt, do you... <laughs> there is one in particular in the legislature that I'm really uh, keenly looking at to see where things have developed. We heard last week, you'll find the story at MacGyverInstitute.com, that finally, after years of wrangling, civil asset forfeiture reform will get a vote in the Senate. That's what they expect later this month. Uh, I believe the Senate is on the floor on February 20th. The Assembly meets then again on February 22nd. This is critical if we're going to move on real reform to this law that opens the door not always, but opens the door for potential abuses of law enforcement officials. Um, but listen, this is, has nothing to do with the legislature. If I can briefly note the disorder in the court in Ozaukee County, things really got interesting uh, this week. Yeah, we're going to be bringing that up in just a minute. Okay, um, fair enough. I'll, I'll restrain stand myself. Down. Yeah, I'll stand, stand down. down. Just one minute. You, you, you're gonna, yeah, Let me you're go with the home. other fellows over here in the barbershop, the Kittle Barbershop Quartet. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll hum while you, uh, you yeah. talk, okay? All right, so I got two. One is minimum markup. Now, this uh, uh, a bill to partially repeal minimum markup, it's a watered-down you know, repeal, is going to be up for public hearing on Wednesday. Now, this one would eliminate... Uh, minimum markup for pretty much all merchandise and prescription drugs, but it wouldn't touch it for gasoline, tobacco, alcohol, and um, I think there was the one stuff that runs my life is what yeah, you're talking the, about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, your, your typical grocery list. <laughs> but, so even even though it's really uh, and groceries, it wouldn't apply to groceries either. So what does it apply to? Oh, you know, um, just. Uh, I don't know, appliances, uh, <clears throat> pharmaceuticals, supply. Yeah. Pharmaceuticals. Just pharmaceuticals. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of like what, what I typically buy, you know, yeah. now that I've, you know, got, got a home and a budget. So, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, pretty well, much anything I buy at Menards, I guess, you know, would be able to be sold, you know, at, at or below cost. But a portion of the apple, not the entire apple. That's yeah. what this legislation, which was the compromise to get us moving into the direction sure. of free market which is probably why it's getting so much opposition from a lot of organizations that wouldn't be affected by this but they might be looking the next step down the road and i'm not gonna go pointing out you know who's for it and who's against it you can look up the ethics information yourself or take some wild guesses yeah exactly um, i don't think you'll be guessing too long. you know if you want an issue that is a pocketbook issue and a kitchen table issue for you know, families all across the state that polling has shown is a clear winner. This is the issue. So, you know, there's the lobbyists who are interested in keeping it to special interests. And then there's everybody else right. who sent these politicians to Madison. I mean, you kind of got to pick one, I guess. Yeah. And, and it's as simple as it's as simple as how do you feel about having your consumer goods marked up three to nine percentage points? Isn't it? Isn't it basically come to that? We talk about minimum markup. We talk about un, unfair sales acts, and people's eyes just kind of gleam, you know, <laughs> gloss over. And then you talk about how much more this is costing you on your grocery bill when you are, you know, on your Black Friday holiday shopping trips, <laughs> right? That communicates something to somebody. But yet we have <coughs> so many folks at the Capitol fighting hard to keep this out. Well, and then the other item that <clears throat> I'd like to just touch briefly on that hasn't got, that's probably gotten zero attention 
Um, the assembly is going to be taking us up on the floor on Tuesday, and that's uh, TIF districts for workforce housing. Now, typically, a TIF district is used for economic development. The idea is um, a city will get to designate a certain neighborhood or an area uh, as a TIF, and um, it takes out a big loan, and whatever new development it's able to uh, create in that area, the new property taxes now go to the bank instead of into the coffers. Now, for some things, you know, it's it's not that big of a deal when it's like a shopping center or or a factory or something like that. But when you start talking about doing a TIF district for homes, you have this empty field, you make it a TIF district, all of a sudden you're building all these homes there, they're generating property taxes. But those property taxes are going back to the bank to pay off the loan that built the streets for that neighborhood. Yeah. Those property taxes are not going to support police, fire, or for the schools to support the children that are now living in that neighborhood. So the question that I, the big question that I have for this, and I'm going to be looking for answers for it, is who's going to pay for police, fire, and education for all these new families that are going to be moving into these communities? Very good questions. I wonder if that will be addressed as they go through the legislative process. Oh, we, will, we will see what happens on the floor or if this is just a big... Uh, Kumbaya! Everybody votes for it, and they don't, don't even uh, don't even bring it up for debate. Um, but Matt, you wanted to, you wanted to talk a little bit about Ozaki. Now, before before you before you get off to the races here, I'm going to let your clone at WIBA take it. He's in the barbershop. <laughs> <laughs> this is the MacGyver News Minute. Here's Matt Kittle. An Ozaki County Circuit Court disorder rules. That seems to be the finding of a State Department of Justice investigation and allegations of misconduct. It all began when Judge Joe Voylan noticed information changing or disappearing from his online court files. His suspicions that the clerk of court's office was messing with his cases were confirmed by the state court system. Along the way, Voylan would learn that the county has failed to follow the law in providing family court services programs, and administrators were told not to follow the judge's orders. The DOJ recently released its report concluding without explanation it would not seek charges in the matter. While it appears violations of the law at some level took place, what the DOJ's investigation fully exposed was breathtaking dysfunction in the Ozaki County court system. For the MacGyver News Minute, I'm Matt Kittle. For more free market news, log on to MacGyverInstitute.com. So, now, Studio Matt's... Back in studio. Back live, at, back not at, Memorex. Yeah, back at uh, back at MacGyver Studios. Uh, you know, did, was there anything you wanted to add about this particular... Uh, Issue. Yeah, there have been some updates to this, and now, uh, as you will find at MacGyverInstitute.com, you'll read the story there. We now have an investigation, a judicial investigation, into this Ozaki County court system. And uh, some of the things that have been said in our coverage by the uh, players involved, particularly the clerk of courts, the actions, of course, still under a cloud of uh, did indeed the clerk of court's office change these court orders? Did they defy a judge's orders? And it's pretty clear from the DOJ report that is exactly what happened. And so you now have an investigator in Patrick Fiedler, uh, Fiedler excuse me, a former U.S. Uh, federal attorney, a former Dane County judge who is leading this investigation. And it really did, if we can toot our own horn here, uh, come out of the MacGyver investigation that looked over not only the 300-plus pages of this Department of Justice report and all of the exhibits and details in it, but also talked to a lot of different people and got a lot of different documents to show that there definitely is a problem mm. in this court system. Th this, is, this has been discussed on the air uh, on, in conservative talk radio, um, but as noted... It's really been the subject of a blackout in, in the newspapers. And so the only place you're really seeing it, the only place there's, to continue tooting our own horn, the only place that any pressure would be coming from other than talk radio would be from our coverage of it. Yeah. Something tells me that there will be more stories now, now that there is an investigation into this court system following what was a pretty quiet release of uh, the, the DOJ investigation. And, uh, and the letter that was an attempt to intervene by Judge Jennifer Doro, which apparently was done because this is 
clearly a situation that's just rife with dysfunction and yeah. needs intervening. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it's pretty clear in what we've been able to ascertain that, that crimes were committed, whether they were done intentionally, maliciously, all of those sorts of things may be a matter of dispute. What is not in dispute is the dysfunction in this court, um, the sort of personality clashes that have uh, certainly caused some problems for the basic administration of justice in Ozaki County. Now, Dan McIver Newsman was pretty incredible. I mean, where, where can I hear more of these? <laughs> well, uh, <clears throat> did you see that level of passion he has for the McIver Newsman? It's really something. He was he was looking at me and he's like, "This is your part. I'm yeah. going to have to give oh, you clearly." Yeah, it was either that or you know, kick him. So. <laughs> well, you can. It, it, it is an incredible uh, one minute, three times a day, Tuesday and Thursday. Um, I have a joke, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> oh, son. Uh, News Talk 1130, W-I-S-N. Well, we're all out of time we this week, are. and we barely scratched the surface of everything that's making news in Wisconsin politics. That's why we're constantly updating our website and social media accounts, so make sure to follow us and check in regularly. And as always, don't forget to hit subscribe. Uh, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and or Google Play and never miss our weekly update on Wisconsin this week. Well, my MacGyver pals, that closes the books on yet another MacGyver report where our extremely charming and good-looking <laughs> and enlightened MacGyver team brings you the week's biggest stories and our exacting insight. We'll be back next Tuesday, don't you fear, with what we promise to be a life-changing podcast experience, <laughs> or at least a cure for your insomnia. <laughs> See you next week, all. <laughs>